Welcome to the Babbles Nonsense Podcast, where I'm your host, Jonna Grimes, and we're here to discuss any and all things, but especially the shit that I want to talk about. Because let's face it, I have a lot of shit to say. And after all, you are listening to my verbal diary. Let's get started. All right, everyone, we, well, we, I guess I should introduce the person on the we, um, this is Jill falling. She is a co a parenting coach and she hosts the uplift effect podcast. And we decided to kind of collaborate our podcast together because I think her podcast is great. And I think she thinks my podcast is great. <laughs> I mean, it could just be a bunch of nonsense, but that's what it is. And we decided just to kind of join forces here because I think she's cool. And I want to know more about her because mostly my podcast so far has been about some badass women and entrepreneurship. And she's kind of doing that, but she's also been in healthcare. So I kind of want to know that journey since everyone knows that I currently work in healthcare as well. So welcome Jill to the podcast. Well, thank you. I am so glad to be here. Very glad to be here. So your background is grief and trauma therapist, correct? That's correct. I have a master's degree in uh, clinical psych and specialized in childhood grief and trauma. And then you, so were you a therapist initially and then went into working for the Oregon center? That's correct. Did, okay. So how mm -hmm. many years were you into therapy? So I, um, was at the, uh, children's advocacy center here okay. in uh, town. And so I spent some years doing my internship and all of that, um, with children who had been sexually abused, physically abused, severe neglect. Um, and then I transitioned over to what was the Alabama Oregon center is now called legacy of hope. But, um, I came to a point where I was just like, Oh, you know, it is exhausting to constantly work with children. Um, I was having a very difficult time sleeping because the stories you hear are so terrible. I can't imagine. Cause I mean, that's why I went into acute care um, because I didn't honestly want to deal with peds because yeah. children are rough. And not only that, you have to deal with the parents. And then you obviously saw the bad side of things where you saw molestation and you know, yes. I couldn't even imagine. Yeah. Everybody in my mind was a perpetrator. <laughs> severely affecting my dating life. <laughs> and I had well, four kids and, you know, I, as a single parent with four kids, I wouldn't let my kids go like live life because I was so worried about them being groomed because that's what I mean. That's what I did. No, I mean, I could completely like, understand that. Making me very unpopular. Like, <laughs> but, um, so I then decided to do the next best thing, which is death and dying. <laughs> Oh, how did you a great idea? Where was that transition? Like, how did you go from being a child therapist, like a that kind of trauma therapist, yeah. and then mm -hmm. you went to a completely different thing of death and dying with the organ center? Well, the long story short is I used to work for the Alabama Organ Center years ago. Okay. Um, because I started out originally with all of this as a surgical scrub nurse or a scrub tech in the operating room. And doing trauma surgery. And oh, cool. I didn't know so that. I, yes, I worked with all of our trauma surgeons and our originally our general surgeons. And then I transferred into the trauma department and did all the trauma surgery and scrubbed in with the surgeons. And through an experience there, I knew that I need, I wanted to move into um, being a therapist. 
um, and move out of the operating room and go to grad school and all of that because of some experiences I had going with a trauma surgeon to go meet with a family. And so um, eventually, long story short, that's what I did. I went and um, went back to graduate school. But during that time that I worked in trauma surgery, I also harvested um, tissue and uh, vein and bone and all of the non-heartbeating organs uh, for the Alabama Organ Center. So years ago, I had already worked for them and reconnected with them. And they're like, oh, my gosh, we're actually transitioning our organ heartbeating organ department where we need people with trauma background and therapists to work with families and give death notifications and talk to them and do crisis work and essentially approach them about organ donation. And so I was like, perfect fit. (laughs) Well, I mean, that's full circle, really. It is because. The truth is, is that all the, the the common denominator in those two things was I know how to have difficult conversations, yeah. like the worst conversations you could ever have. Can you imagine mm-hmm. is sex abuse with a child telling the parent of the sex abuse, talking to the child about sex abuse and doing the therapy and then giving death notifications, telling a mom that her son is not going to survive this injury and yeah. then asking for organ donation, if they would be willing to consider that. I mean, yeah, they just heard the hardest thing conversations you could ever have. So, um, I know how to have tough conversations. And, um, so it was, it, it really was not a, it was challenging in the, in the sense that medically I had been away from the medical field for a little bit, for a little while, you know, yeah. that was a challenge, but I got used to that. And so I worked in the ICU units and they called me when they had an imminent death. So how did that transition from when did you quit doing the organ um, therapist um, job to starting this parenting coaching of the uplift effect? Cause we started our podcast yeah. around the same time, I believe. Yeah. I so think how did so. that transition? I, well, so COVID happened. Okay. Um, COVID happened and we had some very difficult, you know, obviously the medical community struggled um, with all of this and that affected us all very, very differently. Um, I had a series of events that happened in my job that I ended up needing to take um, FMLA. And so I did. And during that time, I was able to be removed enough um, to just kind of see some things differently and kind of get myself regrouped and realized that it was time to leave and I was ready for a change. And I really needed a break from death and dying. (laughs) From all the bad things that you've heard in your life, you needed a break from that. That's right. I needed a break from really difficult conversations. So, um, because I moved straight in from the child abuse and sex abuse to right into death and dying. I had been doing that for six years and, um, I was just exhausted and I was grieving and, um, I, there's a lot of secondhand trauma that happens when you do this work. And so, I had a lot of that going on. So I decided to start my own. I was like, my goodness, what I love the most is helping uh, children. And the best way to help children is to help their parents. And I am a mom, obviously. And one of the things that broke my heart the most is when I was working with children, it was that I would watch them walk out the door and I'm like, we're just sending them back into the very same place that screwed them up. Agreed. 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 Why are we doing this? We've got to help the parents and the moms are struggling. There's so many single parents and 
you know, family dynamics and all kinds of stuff. And we have got wounded um, children raising children. Agreed. And um, so I just decided, okay, I've, if I'm going to make a dent in this world and I am going to help children, I have got to help um, heal families. And that's got to start with the parents. And so I just started with moms and um, that's what I did. And, and the podcast just kind of happened because I was curious about it. And I was like, how great is it? I love public speaking, but public speaking about a public. And I thought that was fantastic. I could do that in bed. I don't have to look a certain way. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's great. And so, um, I mean, my podcast makes no money. I mean, it's just something I do to help serve families and an extra resource. And I have no idea what it will become eventually, but I love doing it. That's amazing. It's um, I met you. <laughs> how we met. But it's funny though, because you would think we have, would have met because our paths have kind of crossed interchangeably. So you were at the hospital. What years were you in the hospital with trauma? Well, let's see. That was probably 20 years ago. Okay. Well, okay. I wasn't there. Because <laughs> yeah, I'm probably older than you. <laughs> well, I was just saying like, because I work with the same trauma surgeons, I work in the ER yes. and then we actually went to the same gym and I remember this. I remember telling you this story because I was like, right, I forgot about that. Yeah. We, we went to, I was like, once I saw who you were, I was like, wait a minute. I know this girl. She goes to my gym because I used to like vividly remember staring at you and being like, she is ripped. Like I want to look like her. I was like, but I've got to stop staring at her because this is creepy AF. Cause she is going to notice. <laughs> That's why I remember what going, um, you might know me because I was creepily staring at you in the gym because you were ripped and I was so jealous. I was like, I want to be that ripped. <laughs> well, I was competing, um, which was probably my, um, you know, that was my legal self-help program. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and so I was always um, running ultras, lifting in the gym quite a bit. And I just got this wild hair one day. I was just like, well, I wonder what would happen. I can put muscle on really easily. So I was like, I wonder what would happen if I just really dropped back on so much running. So I'm not burning so much muscle and, and try to just do this. I had several people say, you really should compete. And I'm like, oh my goodness. Like I am not wearing those high heel shoes and all of that glittery stuff. And that bling <laughs> that is so not me. And I have four kids. I am not dressing on that stage half naked and bending over. Yeah. Sticking your booty out of here. Like, Are you kidding me? Um, and so I discovered that there was a division that you don't have to wear those shoes. Cause there's no way I would wear those shoes. I didn't know that. And so, yes, I competed in women's physique. So you had to be bulkier. You had to be thicker. You had to be really cut okay. and you can't be that cut if you're in bikini. Okay. And I strike really easy. I cut really easy, but I had to work on the bulking part because I was running so much. So I had to quit all that <laughs> running in woods crap. So, um, I dropped my cardio tremendously and started lifting really heavy and it just worked out. I competed in two shows and won them both. <laughs> and, um, you know, here you are. When I <laughs> yeah, here I am having been to the gym in eight months. <laughs> <laughs> oh, stop. But no, I think it's great because like, even when you reached out to me, this was before my episode with Val, where at the end of it, I said, I would love to have a therapist or someone in the mental health department on my podcast, because I know this is different, but I feel like all therapy in this, in a sense is the same. I know you do, you specialize in children, but 
coming from an emergency room and how me and Val were talking about, there's a lot of us in the healthcare healthcare field on antidepressants and things like that. Like, why, why is that? What, like, where can we dig deeper? Like, is it something that we need to heal in ourselves versus the trauma or is it trauma that we're continuously repeating going into an environment such as working in an emergency room or trauma? Like, yeah. Um, great question. This is just my opinion. Mm-hmm. My opinion is, is that, well, we know that people who come from a background of trauma or abuse, neglect, they all have triggers. I mean, we all have triggering stuff that reminds us of negative experiences that we've had in our past, right? And so I do believe that when we have children who have experienced childhood trauma in some form or fashion, if they do not go to counseling, if they do not get healing, if they do not get those wounds healed in some form or fashion and have some better coping skills, we just grow up to be adults then that, that are triggered by things. And we don't even know why it's triggering us. Yeah. And, and I had to work through the same thing. I mean, I had a very specific scenario, um, meeting with families in the ICU units that would make me a hot mess. John, I would be in the bathrooms or in my car sobbing, could not get into the hospital. And I was like, what is my crap? Like, I've got to get it together. This mom is waiting on me to come and meet with her. Why am I the five month old baby didn't bother me, mm-hmm. but the 13 year old with a self-inflicted gunshot wound was wrecking me. Yeah. And I could not figure out what the problem was. I could do babies all day long Mm -hmm. and I had to figure out what was triggering me. And I could have very easily been on anti-anxiety and antidepressant medication and all of this. And I just chose, there's a time and place for those things. Sure. But I chose to go get help and to go get my own therapy to figure out why is it that this certain type of scenario is constantly triggering me. And here's the thing. It was making me very paranoid because when my phone would ring, I didn't have an idea as to what type of case was bothering me so bad. So I felt on edge all of the time and anxious all of the time. And when my phone would ding with another referral and a nurse calling me from the hospital, I would be in panic mode. And then I would have a sigh of relief. And it was like five month old baby, 63 year old male, like those didn't bother me. What I discovered through counseling was, is that anything that was close to a circumstance that I could see myself in a mother who had a 13 year old child. I am a mother at that time who had a 12 year old child who had 15 16 year old children. And I made the connection and realized I was being triggered by working with a mom who I could see myself thinking I could be her one day. Gotcha. That makes sense. Give me anything, God, but don't give me that, you know? And so we all have triggering from something and for a lot of people, it's their background. It's, it's something that sounds like, or, or rubs too close to a background of, um, of un- unhealed wounds. And so I do think, especially in the ER, especially when you see a lot of death and dying and, and, and suicides and overdoses and, and, and you see families coping skills and you see the neglect and the dysfunction in family units that can be so triggering even if it's not your patient, if you see how the family's interacting yeah. with them, 
that can be triggering. Well, I mean, I know How I talked to that you can be triggering. Yeah. Like I can, I've, I've talked to my friends about it because they, I have, my personality is very different. I've obviously worked in an emergency room now for 11 years. So my oh, personality, wow. yeah. So my personality is very different than when I started. So I have, I used to be very shy. I didn't like talking to new people. Um, <laughs> but then when I go into this, this job, that's my job to talk to people, to know people, to educate mm-hmm. people. Number one, that's my job. I have to do it. It, it, it's very right. different than I have to, like, I'm sitting at a coffee shop. I have to go talk to someone next to me. Right. It's very different. So people who don't know me don't know that I suffer from social anxiety outside of work, because mm-hmm. again, that's this role. I step, I put my uniform on, I've stepped into this role and this is who I've become, but right. my friends, it's, I can't turn that off sometimes. So like, yeah. I'm a very, right. I have to be, like you said, we see things a lot, death and dying. Like I might open a curtain. Somebody might be dead behind that curtain. And I'm saying, Hey guys, what do y'all need? Okay. I'm going home. And that doesn't phase me. But then I'm sitting there watching a commercial where, you know, I see a puppy born and it's like tears <laughs> just streaming down my face. But then my friends, like if I'm trying, like, it's, I don't know if I'm getting this question across, but it's like, I can't separate the two. Is that part yeah. of me being traumatized or is that, from my environment or has my environment now traumatized me? (laughs) Gradual exposure is a big deal. Yeah. You didn't just suddenly become, you're a nurse practitioner, right? Yeah. You didn't suddenly just become a nurse practitioner one day. It was a process of gradual exposure. Over time, you were exposed to the material. You were exposed to the word death and dying. And then you started to interact with the medical concept and the medical language. And then you began to see flat um, EEGs or EKGs. And you began to see um, what somebody looks like in the dying process. And then you saw a a trauma. And then you saw somebody bleed out. And then you, you know, it's gradual exposure. And so eventually you learned how to put on your uniform and to show up and be that thing that is different from your personal life. But can that be very traumatic? Absolutely, because we're still human. And so we're still gonna go on break and we're still gonna go to the break room and we're still gonna take that uniform off, but we still have the pictures and the sounds and the words and the moments in our mind. And I can remember seeing people in trauma surgery bleeding out and and things happening and I couldn't get the picture out of my mind when I was trying to go to sleep. Yeah. I wasn't in my uniform. I was in my bed, yeah. you know, but it, it was all coming back. Yeah. You know, we have to learn how to work with that. Is it more complicated for people who come from a background um, where let's say, for instance, they had a parent that tragically died in a car accident and mm-hmm. that's what they're doing. Dealing, sure. Of course that is, they've got to learn how to work with that. And it's, it's very complicated. It can, it, it makes grieving very complicated. It makes your job complicated for sure. Yeah. Um, I agree with that. Like, so it's, it's, it, I don't, it's hard for me. Like a lot of people don't know. So my dad did tragically pass away when I was 10. Um, oh. He, he did. He was actually in a car wreck. Um, there was a guy that was trying to commit suicide and he ran across four lanes of traffic and hit my head, my dad head on in a, 
in a car crack. Oh, God. Now, I don't even think that we talked about this before. And so we haven't. So perfect example. Yeah. Like, so it's, <laughs> that's why like me and Jill talked about this. Um, I don't like to write things down because I just want it to be an organic conversation because you never know where yeah. the conversation is going to go. Um, yeah. but yeah, so that happened when I was 10, but I okay. feel like it didn't affect me. And like, I've uh-huh. had therapists before tell me that it did, but me and my dad weren't close. He, he wasn't the best man. Um, I had a stepdad since the time I was six years old. He was my dad. He, he had done everything uh-huh. for me. So when my uh-huh. dad passed, like I didn't cry at his funeral, like his mom actually blamed me, um, mm. for the death because she said I should have been spending the night with him because it was Easter Sunday. And if I would have, he wouldn't have been out on the road. So all that stuff, like, obviously okay. that I'm going to have some kind of trigger to that. I know that as a healthcare provider. And, but it still doesn't like when I see car wrecks, like I don't trigger back to that. Mm -hmm. Um, is that normal? (laughs) Yes, absolutely. You know, there are some, we do the, the, the word trauma Mm -hmm. keep in mind is, um, not a universal thing. Why is it that some people are traumatized by an event that the other person is not? Yeah. Um, well, my I sister was, public- yeah, per- my sister perfect. was traumatized by his death and I wasn't. Yeah. And, and maybe not in the same way. Yeah. Um, maybe it affects you in ways that, um, doesn't look like trauma or it really looks like more empathy towards somebody who has a similar story. So trauma is, um, by sheer definition of it is actually an event that goes unresolved. Okay. It's not the event in and of itself. Okay. Emotional trauma. That makes sense. <laughs> I'm, not talking about a, I'm not talking about medical trauma. <laughs> I'm talking about emotional trauma. It okay. is actually not the event. It is an event that is left unhealed or is scarring. And two people can experience the exact same event. And one person is traumatized and the other person is not. Yeah. Agreed. We do not know why that always is. It is different personalities. It's different coping skills. It's different backgrounds. I know a husband and wife who lost a baby and the husband was very traumatized and the wife really wasn't. Okay. You know, that seems kind of bizarre, right? Yeah. Um, But their coping skills, their background, what exposure they had had to death and dying previous or not. Was this their first time or had they built up some resistance to death and dying because they had seen it multiple times? So um, I was always very shocked when kids would come in. I would be like, oh, this kid's going to be really traumatized (laughs) and have big trauma responses. And they're like, this is what happened. Let me tell you all about it, Miss Jill. Yeah, because like I obviously went to therapy for it and my therapist always try to tell me, but that I would be like, I don't feel affected by it, but but you are. And I was like, okay, but I don't feel it. (laughs) Yeah. And I always thought something was wrong with me because my therapist was telling me that I should be affected by it. And not to say that all therapists are created equal. You have to find that person that you, Mm -hmm. you know, like like you might not jive with all your clients. You just have to find that balance with your people that you're like, this is my person. I I feel connection here and I feel like I'm growing and learning. So obviously, like I kind of got off on a tangent there, but like so um that's why this is called nonsense. (laughs) It is. And so if I, if I come into like, like say this stressful work environment and I don't, and I feel it whole, but now I'm in, involved and, and like, I love what I do. I love, I love being in an emergency room. I don't, I don't see myself going anywhere else, but I still can't get through that stress. Is that when it's okay for medication? Or is that when you're like, oh, I don't know, you might need to find another job. 
Well, I think that medication, there are times when medication is necessary. Yeah. Um, but I like to think of it as a small bridge to a bigger bridge, mm-hmm. right? Um, when a traumatic event has happened, um, do we sometimes need some help to get us through to a place that we can even actually go to therapy if we felt like we needed it, yeah. you know, um, to where we can even just bring down some of the anxiety or bring down. I mean, I've had to be on medication before because I just would be like, start crying and I mm-hmm. couldn't stop crying. Mm-hmm. And I didn't even know why I was crying. <laughs> I do that a lot. <laughs> I do that a lot. It's like, but, sometimes, but I like those people that are like, just release it, just release it. Yeah. And you feel better. Like, well, you do feel better, except if it's constantly coming up and you don't know where it's coming from yeah. and you don't know when you anticipate it either. Cause you can't prepare. And I was like, I put all my mascara on for that. And so, yes, I do think there's a time and place for medication, but this is the thing that I would ask is that job worth it? If you are dependent upon being on antidepressants and anxiety medication in order to survive it, well, the answer for me personally is no, that's just personally me. No, if I am in a, if I'm, I mean, we work in death and dying. We know that life is too short. Yeah. And there are side effects from these medications that do affect me. And maybe they affect everybody different. Of course they do affect me. And I didn't like the side effects of that, you know? And so I didn't want to live like that. Life is too short. I want to work my crap out, get my stuff together, dig into it, push into it so that I'm not expecting then my children to dance around my issues that I haven't worked through because I was afraid to do so. Yeah. Or I was scared to do that. I don't want to do that. And is my job worth putting me in that? Like, it's just not, there's no, a million things you should be doing, you know, and I want to jump waterfalls and, and cliff jump with my kids in the summertime. And I want to have a great time. And I want at the end of my life, because of what I experienced through being with families in their last moments of life. Like I want my kids to say, mom lived big. And, and that's not what we were doing when I worked at the advocacy center. I, I had us all in, sh- in like bubble wrap. <laughs> we were not living big. Well, I mean, I yeah, like you said, you're, you're a product of what you were coming from. So you were seeing molestation of a lot of children. So you s- saw that everywhere you went, you were like, well, are you, are you, are you, are you? Yep. So yep. do you feel like you got, I don't know how to word this. Like, so obviously everyone has trauma. I mean, mm-hmm. we all have a story to tell and I yeah. feel like depending on what you do with that story, either makes or breaks you. That's how some people break out into this great thing. And then that's how other people go down this road of like drugs, alcohol addiction. Like we all have that choice. Right. And obviously I I do believe that, um, addiction is chemical and it could be, um, part, um, hereditary. So maybe that choice is easier for you. And I completely Mm -hmm. am not saying that you chose wrong. Like if people did, you know, I'm just, I'm simply saying like, do you think that you had some trauma that you had to work through when you chose to be a therapist? And then when you became this trauma mm-hmm. therapist, did you see that within yourself going, wow, I didn't realize mm-hmm. I had all this trauma within myself. Yes. Um, I had a therapist one time say, so why do you think you chose to become a therapist? <laughs> well, <laughs> because I recognized from being in therapy for off and on for many years, 
how helpful it really was. It gave me my life back. It gave me freedom back. Um, you know, one of the things that happened early on, um, when I first got married, just before I got married, two weeks before I got married, my seven-year-old cousin passed away tragically. And, um, I was there when she was born and, um, was very, very close with her. And she passed away two weeks before I got married. And then, so I got married, um, and, was really, really then in in the midst of some deep grieving. Um, I mean, she was seven. (laughs) That's just terrible. Right. Um, And then I don't know, three, four months or something after I got married, um, I got pregnant. My husband and I got pregnant and partway through that pregnancy, I ended up losing that baby and had a really unfortunate situation happen and got pregnant immediately again. And the same thing was happening again. And so I had a span of years there where there was a lot of, of grief and a lot of loss. And I had to figure out, like I was just drowning in grief, you know, and trying to figure out how to, how do you recover? Am I just going to choose that my life is over or am I going to make some meaning out of this grief? And I am going to, um, to, to push in and work through it because I already had a child and I was then having more kids and I did not want my kids to pay the price for my unresolved pain and hurt. And we see it all the time. Yeah. So why do some people that's, I mean, why is it that some people choose the numbing coping Mm -hmm. mechanism versus the other? And, you know, there is a genetic factor, but there's also modeling of what we saw happen with our, in in the home that we grew up in. What did our parents do? Did they dig in and did they do the work and they work their issues or did they numb and avoid? Yeah. And I'm not saying that like, again, like, I don't want anyone to listen to this podcast and think that I'm saying like, if you chose addiction or anything, but to me, in my perspective, in just my opinion, mm-hmm. that is choosing an easier way out than to actually facing. Cause it's hard. It's hard facing things where you're like, wow, I do do that. Or I'm not the best person I thought I was. That's, that's a hard thing to, it's a tough pill to swallow. Like, Oh, I'm not this great right. person. I thought I was. Oh, okay, cool. Yeah. <laughs> And I got issues. Yeah, like <laughs> I'll be issues. crying. Girl, be crying. Yeah. So crying. and and the other thing is, is that I think actually a lot of addicts, once they get into recovery, will tell you the same thing. Yeah. They were absolutely just numbing. Um, and and they were choosing the easy way out. To avoid now, ultimately, it. Yeah. I think in the long run, that's the hard way around. Uh, but they were choosing that. And I've had many of them tell me that. Um, that it was um, just not being able or having the resources and having the people around them to support that kind of thing. And you know what? I'm here to tell you, it is easier at first to numb it. Is it not? Mm-hmm. I mean, I mean, I'm not going to lie. When I get stressed or upset or something like it, I'll be like, man, yeah. I just want to go have a drink. Like, I just want to go sure. have a drink instead of dealing oh, yeah. with your bullshit right now. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Me too. Me too. It is definitely easier to do that. But then we come back around to a point and we go, okay, wait, I got to dig into this and I got to get this worked because if I don't, the domino effect of these choices are going to be catastrophic. Yeah. And thank goodness I have kids because I would be a hot mess because they keep me honest. (laughs) (laughs) Oh yeah. You got to reel that in. So how did you, so obviously there's all kinds of different therapies out there. Like, Mm -hmm. how did you 
choose childhood trauma and working with parents to like, Hey, like you have to deal with your trauma before you can work on your children's trauma. How did you choose that course? You know, it kind of just happenstance. I, I, well, let me back up. You remember I told you something about being in trauma surgery and mm-hmm. an event with a, a doctor. Um, briefly, that story is, is that at that time, I don't know if they still do this now, but the trauma surgeon after surgery would go out and meet with the family. We had a very young girl that fell off of a bicycle and hit her head just in the right place and ended up with a huge uh, brain bleed and um, skull fracture and whatever, because she hit the curb just right. And so on her temporal part of her head, and she ended up coming into trauma surgery uh, real quick. And so Um, and she was in bad in a bad way and she survived and has a remarkable story. But when the trauma surgeon went out to go meet with this family, it was late in the middle of the night. Um, this was a young family I had asked him and he, and he always wanted a staff person to come with him. And I was like, oh my gosh, I've never gotten to go do that. Can I go with you? I'll come back and clean up the room later. And he said, sure. So I went in with him to go meet with this family. They were very, very young, a couple, obviously devastated. I mean, just a small little fall on a bicycle. She had training wheels and she just tipped over and it happened right before their eyes. And they thought she was okay, but four hours later, she wasn't, you know, Mm -hmm. they had no support. It was a holiday weekend. It was in the middle of the night. And so he talks to them. He's like, I don't really know what the outcome is going to be. I mean, at that time we didn't. Yeah. And so he gave them a poor prognosis and then gets up and he's like, okay, we're done. And he walks away. He's like, come on. And I was like, completely paralyzed. Like, how do we just leave? (laughs) uh, I mean, it's like three o'clock in the morning and I just was completely paralyzed. And I remember like it was yesterday looking at him going, I'll be back there later. I, I am going to have to stay. Mm -hmm. Um, and you know, and he said, okay, you know, do what you gotta do. And so I stayed with that family, um, that husband and wife. And I was like, can we call and get you some help? I mean, who, who can we call? Can I call for you? Do you understand what was just said? Mm -hmm. Um, can I answer any questions for you? I mean, they were in total shock and they, they, they didn't even hear half of what he said. They needed it repeated like three more times and they needed somebody to help call their family because they couldn't even get the words out of their mouth yet. Yeah. I could help fill that gap and serve this family. And I knew right then and there that I was called to do something else. Like you can go do all the brain trauma and you can do all the belly traumas and all of that stuff. And that was so fun. But once you've seen like five, Mm -hmm. you've seen them all. Yeah. But I could serve in this way that I knew um, it was just a huge shift. And so I was like, well, my next chance to go to graduate school or (laughs) I'm changing courses. And so eventually that's what I did, but it was because of that moment. And I ended up with an internship at the uh, children's advocacy center. And I learned trauma focused cognitive behavior therapy. That's awesome. And that changed, it changed everything. And so it's still what I do to this day with uh, moms. Um, I do TFCBT with them to then help them so that they are less reactive, less triggered, and are more empowered and more um, confident in their parenting. That's amazing. Cause I have, I, I don't know my sister doesn't listen to this podcast, so it's fine. Um, <laughs> I think that she could benefit from this. Cause I feel like she has suffered from a lot of, uh, you know, like, like my dad's 
death that I don't think she's necessarily quite dealt with yet. Um, Uh and some other things that she's dealt with growing up. And then she had a child at 17 years old, definitely Mm. not ready to raise a child when she was kind of going through her own shit at the same time. So she would be a perfect candidate for you for sure. (laughs) Well, you know, the thing is, is that my story isn't all that different. I, I had um, a child very young in college and then got married and had several more back to back, of course, you know, some losses in the midst of that. And, um, and I raising kids is not easy. I mean, they don't come with a book. They don't come with instructions. So why I don't have them. them. <laughs> They're too hard. Listen, my second podcast, the, the title of that podcast is it's not a cabbage patch after all. And it is the story of me delivering my firstborn and the, in the hospital sending me home. I was like, you're going to send me home with this kid. Like, <laughs> Lord, I don't even know how to feed him. I I'm sure I'm supposed to keep him alive. <laughs> And I was like, I only know about cabbage patch kids. <laughs> you wonder, it's like amazing how humans keep people alive. Right. So like, I feel like when you see dogs or like I live out here and there's cows and they just know what to do with their animals. And like, yeah. they only yes. have to worry about like people hunting them or killing them. You don't have to worry about all this like childhood trauma. Like what childhood trauma is a cow going to have? Oh my gosh. The trauma of trying to breastfeed. Holy crap. I was just like, everybody tells you. And I mean, that episode is just funny. Not all of mine are funny. Yours are way funny. Mine are a little bit more serious. See, mine are not meant to be funny. Like I literally am being serious and people are like, yeah, but that's funny. And I'm like, but take me seriously. I just want to be heard. You are very funny. But that one was funny because I was just like, everybody told you it was the most natural thing ever. And I call the nurse it, nurse's button. I'm like, I'm choking it in here. <laughs> I'm choking. And it was that I was I'm so engorged that I told her I had rocks coming out my neck. It was milk. Lord. But no, think about that. And it, in armpits. I'm like, the rocks are coming around the back. But that in <laughs> itself, awful. when you think about it, so like it's becoming more, um, uh, what's the word? Like socially aware. No, that's not the word. That's why I say I'm grammatically encouraged. Challenged. It's in, yes, it's encouraged or this whole movement's going around to talk about postpartum depression and oh, like yeah. everyone makes it seem like it's this this natural thing. Like you're, it's going to be natural. Don't worry about it. Well, some people don't get that natural feeling. They get depressed and then it makes them more depressed because they're like, why am I not bonding or why am I not feeling this way? I mean, that in itself right there, but I mean, yeah. So, yeah, I did not bond, um, with my firstborn until he was 10 months old. And, and I knew in that moment, okay, we're here, you know, but it, it took me a long time. Now I was young. I was not prepared. I wasn't expecting to have children. So I had some things I had to work through, you know, and, um, and it's not that I didn't love him, but I didn't have any feelings. I was just numb mm-hmm. and in shock <laughs> trying to figure out how to keep him alive. And he was crying and I don't speak crying. And so I was like, Hey dude, like, you're going to need to tell me in some other way, you can cry louder. You can cry more. You can like hold your breath and cry, but I still don't know what that means. Yeah. (laughs) And I can't help you. So if you would just like calm the crap down and tell me what it is you need, I'll get it. 
And it doesn't work out that way. Babies don't do that. (laughs) Do do you think that has a psychological component on these people who say that they didn't know that they were pregnant until the baby was coming out is because they refused. Like they were like, I'm not like, I'm not pregnant. I'm not doing this. This is, I can't imagine how you you know what I'm saying? Like, do you think that maybe what it is, is like a psychological, like I'm refusing to say that I'm pregnant because if I don't say it, it's not true. (laughs) It cannot be true. I have no idea. I have heard stories like that, but there was no way I was going to be able to hide that. I mean, you know, I, I just, I don't know. I have read those kind of stories. Who knows? The mind is a crazy thing. And can we be in denial? Yes. I have worked with families who an hour later was was still talking about their loved one as if they were going to survive. And I've given them death notification. Yeah. That's, you know, I mean, that's hard. Yeah, it is hard. It is very, very hard. So I don't know, but I, I have found it to be incredibly rewarding. I love what I do. I love working with moms. I predominantly work with moms. I I don't really work with dads, but um, I, I think that, There are so many women who don't want to repeat their past, but they don't know how to not do that because they, they've not parented before, but they've been parented. Agreed. That's all they got to go on. And so that is a struggle and not everybody's experience is the same. And and there's so much mom shaming. Good Mm -hmm. gosh. And we have to stop doing that to each other and to realize everybody's journey is different. And that doesn't mean that theirs is wrong. It's just different than yours. Agreed. And so anyway. Well, thank you so much for explaining your journey and having some laughs with me. So tell everyone where they can find you. So if they want this kind of help or they just want to listen to it on your podcast, tell everyone social podcasting where they can find you. Okay. So my email address is my name backwards. So it's falling just like falling down. Uh, so it's falling dot Jill at gmail.com. You can always email me, but you can DM me. I'm on Instagram with Jill falling and, um, on Facebook, of course, I'm probably there more often. I have a mom's Facebook group. All of those links are attached in my bio. And then my podcast is the uplift effect podcast. And, um, you will notice it because it has a V formation of birds. And those birds were one going right over my house on my farm one day. And I knew it was meant to be the uplift effect. Mm-hmm. I'm so glad you got to be on my podcast. I could talk to you literally all day. Cause I think you are a blessing. Well, Seriously. Thank you so much for having me come on. And I love, I have looked forward to this because laughter is so contagious and I need laughter in my life. And just people who see the world in a funny way, even if it's just in, in dry humor, I mean, it's fantastic. You know, That's definitely what I'm I have is dry. dry. Humor. I am not calling, <laughs> I you I'm calling myself dry. I have dry humor for sure. Like it falls short a lot of times and I'm just like, well, that's what it is. <laughs> but so I, I totally appreciate it. And I have loved being here. Thank you so much for having me. All right, guys, that's it for the Babbles Nonsense podcast today. If you want to hear the continued conversation, head on over to Jill's podcast, The Uplift Effect. You can find it anywhere, just like you can find mine. You can find her on Instagram at Jill Falling. And yeah, we continue the conversation over on her podcast. So until next time, guys, bye.